Hello, friends. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Uh, every uh, week or so, I'm going to upload a message from our New Year camp meeting. And um, this message is preached by Pastor Josh Montgomery. He's pastor of the Safe Harbor Baptist Church in Salisbury, North Carolina. And he preached one morning for us and uh, did a great job. It's an especially great charge to uh, young preachers. Uh, and I'm, I even left the beginning of his message before he started preaching. He gives a little uh, kind of an announcement and uh, an invitation to a conference that Brother Montgomery puts on every year. Um and called the Timothy Conference that's aimed just for young preachers. So I want you to listen to that invitation, pass it along uh, to somebody that might be uh, benefited from that meeting. And then the message is great for everybody. So tune in and listen and let it bless your heart. And I want to say while you're turning, I do appreciate the Walters Grove Baptist Church. And uh, we've been friends many years, and I appreciate Brother Simpson. We've been friends. Brother Dean says we've been friends since the nursery. Amen. Brother Dean says we get to retire at 40 because we started when we was five, amen. And, uh, but I appreciate friends in the ministry the Lord's given us and the opportunity to be here. And uh, I didn't ask the preacher, is all right if I mentioned my Timothy conference? Where young, we got a young preacher. I guess it'd be awkward if you said no. Uh, we got a, uh, a preacher's meeting for young preachers coming up in September. Uh, September 10th and the 11th, and it is geared uh, just to be a blessing, encouragement to uh, younger preachers, younger pastors. Uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, uh, we've got men like Brother James Langston coming in, Brother James Jones, uh, Brother uh, Reese Key, uh, Brother Andy Wells, Brother Michael Poindexter, Brother Davey Shelton will be there. And it's Friday night's more of a preaching service, and Saturday morning we assign subjects uh, to our speakers, and they deal with uh, different subjects that you wouldn't normally hear preached on. Brother Reese Key's going to do a session on books and things of that nature. Uh, brother, uh, uh, brother Michael Poindexter, Brother Wells, they'll have different subjects, and it'll be a blessing to you. If you're interested in that, you see me after church, got some cards. And uh, I'll say this, we can rant and rave about the young preachers going the wrong way, and I plan on it, <laughs> uh, but then we ought to do something about it. And uh, trying to be proactive. And so I, I called about seven or eight older preachers before I even had the meeting because I'm a young man myself. Uh, but the Lord's given us this opportunity. And so we want to try to be uh, help to you there. Amen. Galatians chapter number three. And uh, let's, I want to read one verse and uh, then give you my thought and try to be a blessing to you. This is not my normal style. Most of the time I try to hit the pulpit in about fifth gear. Uh, but I'm in a little different gear this morning. It may be because of the message, and it may be because I didn't sleep at all Tuesday night. Let's stand together as we read Galatians chapter number 3, and I will stay within my time limit. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Father, we thank you all for the day. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your love. Thank you for your kindness and your long-suffering to us. So we realize and we echo the sentiments of the prophet Jeremiah that is of the Lord's mercy, so we're not consumed already because your compassions fail not. I thank you for that this morning. I'm glad them mercies were new this morning, and I bless your name for that. Thank you for the good preach we've already heard. Lord, by Brother Bailey, Lord, how we were challenged in that area. My heart was spoken to about the one thing. Lord, may we draw closer to you in these days. Lord, help us to simply deliver our assignment 
and get out of the way for the other men of God that will come. And thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I appreciate you for standing while I read the Word of the Lord and prayed together. As we approach the text here in Galatians chapter 3, you understand you're at Thursday morning of a camp meeting. Paul is dealing with some false doctrine, clearing up with these churches scattered around Galatia, and mainly dealing with the Judaizers who were adding works to grace. In fact, these are the true legalists, if you really want to know the truth of it, that Paul is combating in the book of Galatians. And normally in my style of preaching, I would take a portion of Scripture and expositionally walk down to the text. You'll forgive me for this morning. I have one word on my heart. In fact, I was actually studying this for the Lord's Day on Sunday, and the Lord put in my heart if we was called upon to share this with you today. I'm interested in this word in verse number 1, the word bewitched. And no, I'm not talking about some woman on TV that scrunches her nose. Amen. Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? It's interesting to me, these people at Galatia, he's not talking to lost people. He's talking to saved people. These people have been born again. They had been blessed by God. They were busy in the work of the Lord. They were part of the body, the bride, and the building of Christ. They had the book. They are getting the book of Galatians sent to them. But they had been bewitched. In this text, we find the who. He said, who hath bewitched you? That identifies a person This phrase reminds me much of Galatians 5, 7 where he says, You did run well, but who did hinder you? Not a what, but a who. It identifies a person. The word bewitch indicates a process. The word bewitch means to charm. means to fascinate. It literally means to cast a spell. I'm not talking about lost people that he's talking to. He's talking to a church. And he said, You have been charmed. You have been fascinated. A spell has been cast upon you. It identifies a person, indicates a process, and it impedes progress. He said that you should not obey the truth. This bewitching was hindering the people of God going forward for the glory of God. I wish that I could say that this was just a problem that was going on in Paul's day, but sadly it is still going on in the day and age we live in. I'm reminded what Paul told the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said that for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust they shall heat themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall be turned away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables, being charmed, being fascinated, a spell being cast upon them. Paul also told Timothy in his first epistle, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. As far as I can tell, these people are saved. You can't lose your salvation. But they're departing from the faith. Why? They are giving heed to seducing spirit and doctrines of devils. Jude warned us of those men in Jude verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking with a preacher the other day. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. We was discussing Matthew chapter 7 verse 15 where Jesus warned, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly 
They are ravening wolves. And I've heard all my life that the false preachers and the false prophets were your T.D. Jakes and your Rod Parsees and your Kenneth Copelands and, and all those guys. And, and they said, yeah, those are the false prophets. But here's the problem with that. Even the world can see through that crowd. They've got their 2020 documentaries. They've got their 60 minutes looking at all the schemes, all the hypocrisy, all the fakeness. That's not who Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. We can see that he said they are wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, they look like us. They're independent Baptists. They carry King James Bibles. They have the right standards. They have the right separation. They preach in our meetings. But they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Brother Eddie Davis said a wolf wearing sheep's clothing means he killed a sheep somewhere. The false prophets Jesus warned about are those that look just like us. You know a wolf by his dress, sheep's clothing. By his diet, always consuming the flesh. By his direction, they always run in packs. By their desires. Thus the crowd that Paul is warning us about in this text was not without the church, but is within the church. How can we not see through this crowd? How can we not see? I mean, you, and I'm not being critical of anybody. This way. I understand sin can take anybody down. But we have all been in meetings and heard preachers preach and seen God do something only to find out there was something going on and sin heading down the road. What was going on? We were charmed. We were fascinated. We were bewitched. In fact, the way to tell a man is bewitching you or not is to nail him down on his doctrine. Because in the context of Galatians 3, stay with me, I'm going somewhere, I'm not trying to kill anything. But in the context of Galatians 3, Paul is straightening out, straightening out false doctrine. And I'll tell you this, you follow those guys around long enough, you'll find they had some doctrinal issues because your doctrine will always determine your behavior. Those that bewitch always have a crowd, and since they have a crowd, they must be of God. But that is not always the case. In studying this word bewitch, it interested me that it is only found in one other place in our Bible. And it's in the book of Acts, and if you'll, and I apologize for not being in my normal vein, but in the book of Acts, if you'll go there with me, please. Acts chapter number 8. You Bible students understand that this is the context where we find the story of Simon the sorcerer. And I want to look at Acts chapter number 8 and I want to preach on this thought this morning, O foolish Baptist, who hath bewitched you? And I'm not being disrespectful to the bride because Paul told the church, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And I'm afraid there are a lot of Baptists who have been bewitched. And I'll be honest with you, I believe all of us at one time or another have been bewitched. I want to look at three things out of Acts 8 in the life of, uh, in the context of Simon the sorcerer where we find this word bewitched. First of all, I'd like to say a word about the defined characteristics. Look at verse number 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. I notice the presentation they display. Watch the text in verse 9. Giving out that himself was some great one. 
I'm the best thing that's ever happened to this church. I'm the best thing that's ever happened to this meeting. This meeting wouldn't be nothing without me. This camp wouldn't be nothing without me. This ministry wouldn't be nothing about me. It's all about me. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? He was all about himself. He was all about exalting a name. He was all about exalting the flesh. And truly you and I have seen that. Men that lift themselves up and they even quote themselves. I mean, when you put a post on Facebook, do you really have to quote yourself unless you and your wife share a Facebook? Come on now. This Bible said in Proverbs 27, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thy own lips. The presentation, they display, I am something. It's amazing to me that, and I better leave that alone. There's the presentation they display. I'll just say it's sad that Paul forgot to take a selfie with Onesimus when he won him to the Lord. The presentation they display, but there's the propagated deception in verse 9. He said he used sorcery. The word sorcery, magic, spells. In other words, he was good at convincing people. He was getting results. I mean, you know, I know Simon ain't really like us, but boy, he's getting some results. He, he, the presentation they display, the propagated deception, the people's devotion. Look at verse 10. To him they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that after a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. The same words gave he to regard. They are the same root words. And it gives the idea to pay attention to, to believe, to give credibility to. In fact, Paul said that they're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and that's why they left the faith. These people, I understand the context that these are lost people. I understand that in the context of Acts chapter number 8. But the principle and the application still applies. They sold the sorcery. They sold the magic. They sold the results. And they took it bait, line, and sinker. And you better not say nothing bad about Simon the sorcerer around them. Because they gave him regard. And they gave heed. And you better not say nothing bad about him. Those that are bewitched will often defend their leaders to the death no matter what he does. He can be an adulterer and a fornicator, a child molester, a liar, a thief, a robber. But they will defend him to the death. I, I, I believe in loyalty to the man of God. I believe, I believe that, amen. But loyalty dies at sin. And I'm telling you, you don't, we don't cover, we understand, we don't cover up sin and we don't, we don't, there's a lot of people say, well, I don't want to harm the har- cause of Christ. I'm telling you, sin is harming the cause of Christ. The people's devotion, they gave heed, they gave regard. The promoted declaration to whom they all gave heed, verse 10, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. All the emphasis was put on the man. You know we're bad about that in our churches. If Since this has happened this week, if we're not careful, if the man that was on the flyer don't show up or our favorite preacher is not preaching, we just kind of shut everything down. 
You know why? And I'm not saying they're, I'm not criticizing that. We understand. We all have our favorite preachers we like to listen to. I understand that. But sad, people can't get in unless it's their favorite singing group, their favorite preacher. Amen. You know what? They, they're promoting this man is the great power of God. You've seen them. They'll sit there like a non-log while you preach. When their buddy gets up to preach, they'll shout the house down. Maybe I should have stayed home. Amen. The defined characteristics, the presentation they display, he's given out that himself. You know what he's doing? He gave out that himself that he was something great. And the people said, yeah, he is pretty great. He is pretty amazing. He is pretty powerful. They didn't say that he had the power of God, Brother Chisholm. They said this man is the great power of God. And it's capital G. They're talking about God. The defined characteristics. Secondly, I would like to emphasize the damaging cost. What does being bewitched cost? Well, back in Galatians, you don't have to turn, I'll quote it. But back in Galatians 3, it teaches us that disobedience to the truth. He said, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? John 17 says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Jesus said in the upper room that night, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But they got hooked up on a man, so it really don't care, matter what the truth says. I heard what brother so-and-so said. Disobedience to the truth they will give more attention and more allegiance to what a man says than what the Bible says. Disobedient to truth. Defiled testimony. In this text in Acts 8, Simon is a sorcerer. I don't know if he's wearing that Mickey Mouse hat or, or got a big pony hat and a robe and what all he's doing, got car tra- I don't know what he's doing, but he's a sorcerer. He's a bad guy. <laughs> he's a heathen. This man is the great power of God. I don't care what he dresses like. I don't care how he conducts himself. I don't care how he carries himself. I don't care. I have seen results. I have seen the great power of God. Leave Simon alone. Defiled testimony. His power. He had power all right. But his power was from hell and not from heaven. The devil has power. He, he don't have all power, but he does have power. In fact, in the book of the Revelation, in the tribulation period, there's an interesting verse. This is the spirit of the devil working miracles. The defiled testimony. This is the crowd that wants to separate their pulpit life from their private and public life. But there ought not be any separation. And I'm not, I'm not here to start a fight, and I'm not here to run from one either. I'm not trying to be controversial. But there are still biblical qualifications for a preacher. And it's not just for the pulpit. Amen. And we want, people want to separate that and, make it, and, and, and just make it not a big deal. Uh, somebody even said that, I heard one man say, well, you know, those are just suggestions in 1 Timothy 3. Then why did Paul say a bishop must be? Well, it's, I'm sorry, I should have stayed home and rocked the baby, amen. He must be. Sounds like a qualification to me. But they can preach. You're bewitched. Uh, they're char. I'm not trying to start anything. I'm trying to stop something. 
They're charmed. They're bewitched. They're fascinated. Amen. The, the defiled testimony. There's a lot of people believe that until it happened to them. And I'm not trying to speak in pride or arrogancy. God forbid if I fail, I, they're going to come get my papers and they're going to take me out. Amen. I want, I, I'm glad it's on the World Wide Web. I want to be held accountable to that. So everybody wants to be accountable if, except for preachers sometimes. I'm not talking about the men here. Those are good men here. But I'm just saying they, they, the defiled testimony, the doctrine that was tampered with. Well, I know he ain't doing it like us, but boy, he's getting some results. Now, I know he's a little, he's a little easy believism, but you know, well, I know he's a little bit of a Calvinist, but I'm against both sides. <laughs> Somebody said, are you a Calvinist or Arminian? No, I'm a Christian. Billy Mitchell said, you can't be both. Billy Mitchell said, you can't be a Calvinist and a Christian. Amen. The gospel, they substitute scriptural sermons for sensational stories. You take the average illustration, and I'm not against illustrations. I, I'm not against that at all. They, one, they taught us in college the illustration is a window that allows the hearer to look into your sermon. I didn't know I was building a house, but that's what they told us, all right? But, but I'm not against illustration. But you take illustration and story out of most guys preaching, they'll be done in 10 minutes. And I'm not against illustrations. I'm not against stories. This ain't story time. This is preaching time. Somebody said, well, Jesus gave parables. Well, He's the Word, and anything He says is the Word of God. Amen. The God, and you know, I don't mean to try. I grew up in church. I'm at, I'm at 20 minutes. He told me to be done at 30. I will be done. I grew up in church all my life. Preachers, we never get stories right when we do tell them. All right, this is preacher kid being in church for 30-year moment. And I'm not making fun of the story. We've all heard the story about the little girl. It was prom night and she wouldn't get saved. And she went out and got in a car wreck and died. I've heard that. That Percy Ray was preaching. J. Harold Smith. R.G. Lee. John R. Rice. <laughs> I almost said that. <laughs> I ain't kidding, alright? I, I, I've heard all those names. I'm like, who is it? Which one was it? It happened to all of them. Ain't that a coincidence? I'm not making fun of the story, but... Paul didn't need a sensational story up here at Mars Hill. Amen. They, they, sensational stories and feeling good teachers having itching ears. In fact, if they do use a Bible verse, it's most of the time out of context. In fact, they say, I'm going to preach from this verse. Brother Mike, that's exactly what they do. They preach as far from it as they can. And I've not arrived this morning. I've not arrived. Listen to me very carefully. Some of you older folks are going to laugh at me. But I turned 30 this past year. Now, I know that's not old. But when I first met men like Brother Dean and, and men like uh, Brother... Uh, uh, brother um, there was another preacher I had on my mind this morning. I got baby head. But they were in their 30s. And I remember how I looked up to those men as a teenager and as a kid. And it dawned on me, we better start, we better grow up. And Brother Chris, I guess we better start saying some things. Not in pride, not arrogancy, but we have to teach a generation not to be bewitched, not to be charmed, not to be fascinated. 
Not to be deceived. Brother Stroud was who I was thinking about. I met Brother Stroud when he was in his 30s. What I'm saying this morning is they, do- they tampered with the doctrine. I'm not against illustrations, but you take away the illustration, the stories, and the, the very little doctrine. Hey, might I remind you the gospel does not need tricks. It does not need gimmicks. It does not need to be marketed. It does not need to be sold. I'm not against witnessing and putting your church information. That's not what I'm preaching against this morning. You understand. You know me better than that. But we got to do tricks and gimmicks and, and, and do all sorts of things to get people saved. But Paul didn't have any of that. He just preached the gospel. There is the defined characteristics, the damaging costs. But in closing, I want to say there is the definite cure for bewitching. There is a cure for being bewitched. And as I begin, I've been meditating on this word for about a year now, and this is the first time I've tried to deal with it. But what cures charms and fascinations and spells and bewitching? How can I keep from being bewitched? I believe it's what Philip did in this text. Look at verse number 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria where Simon the sorcerer is doing his work and preached Christ unto them. You know what he did? He left the sorcery behind. He left the tricks and the gimmicks behind. And he walked into that city and said, Let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you about the greatest story that we have to tell. I'm going to tell you this morning what will make the difference in our generation. If we get back to preaching Christ, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God it's not the man that's the power but Paul said the gospel is the power what more power do we need we have the gospel the death the burial the resurrection of Christ what a message we had to declare this morning why would I want to waste my time in tricking people why would I want to waste my time marketing myself why would I want to waste my time lifting myself up when I could tell about the lovely Lord Jesus who marched up Calvary's hill defeated death hell in the grave walked out on resurrection morning he ever lived to make intercession for us what a message we have to tell He preached Christ. Talked about God. He bragged on Jesus. I feel like preaching now, amen. He magnified the Lord. David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. In other words, he said, I'm going to need some help doing this, amen. Philip walked into that town and he began to preach Christ. And that crowd that had been bewitched begin to believe. Amen, that's right. That crowd that had been charmed, they got converted. Oh, when he preached Christ, there was clarity. There was convincing. There was conviction. There was conversion. There was commitments. The Bible said they were baptized and followed the Lord. I'm not going to deal with the rest of the text. I don't have time. Simon also believed. Now, we'll talk about that another time. But my point is the cure for a bewitched congregation is preaching Christ. Preaching Christ. Now, there's some people that say, well, just preach on Jesus and they may not preach on sin. But you can't preach on Jesus and preach the gospel and not deal with sin. So I'm not implying that this morning. 
Why would there need to be a Calvary if there wasn't sin? Why would there be a gospel if there wasn't sin? We do not need fascination. We need faith. We do not need sensationalism. We need scriptures. We do not need charms. We need the Savior. We don't need spells. We need the Spirit of God. In closing, how do we keep from being bewitched? I wrote this down. Be filled with the Spirit. Very simple. The Spirit has never been deceived. Be filled with the Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. Be filled with the Spirit. Be founded in the Scriptures. The book of Acts chapter 17 talks about those believers at Berea and they search the Scriptures. I'm not talking about criticism this morning. Let me, let me clarify too. I've got three and a half minutes left and I will finish. I'm not talking about criticism. There's a lot of people that sit in the service and they'll, they'll take a message like this and say, oh, well, I'm going to figure out if this guy's bewitching me or not. No, you're, you're, you're being a critic. I'm talking about discernment. But the Eddie Davis said discernment's not knowing what's right from wrong. It's knowing what's right from what's almost right. As far as I can tell, I've only found the word discernment one time in the Bible. Or discerning, it's in Hebrews 4. and talk about the Word of God being quick and powerful and sharp and into it sword. And it is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In other words, just line it up with the book. Discernment, be, be filled with the Spirit, be found in the Scriptures, be fervent in supplication, be found in the sanctuary, be focused on the Savior. In other words, we should never get into the Terrible thing of man worship. There is a difference, and there are people who take this to see we're not supposed to. No, I believe in giving honor to whom honor is due. You know me better than that. But when it comes down to the end of the day, it's not the man of God that we should emphasize, but it's the God of the man. I don't, and I, my, my heart is for these young people. I don't want them to be bewitched. I don't want to be charmed, be fascinated. But at the same time, I don't want to be bewitched. I don't want to be charmed. I don't want to be fascinated. You know what we got to do, men, in training our people? And I'm the least, I've started my ninth year pastoring this month. I'm the least of all preachers. But here's what the Lord's put in my heart. Preach Christ. Preach the book. Preach on sin. Preach against, preach against sin. But make sure you get them to Calvary and let them know there is forgiveness for sin. Father, I pray that you would take these thoughts this morning.